This is Rumble, and I'm Michael Moore. Thank you, everybody, for joining me today. I am back. Um, I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> I'm in day, what is this now? Day 50, 57. Jeez. Day 57 of my self-imposed exile in my apartment. And um, I... Um, I don't think I've spoken to you here. I put up a little surprise uh, song for you about an upcoming guest. Uh, I did that uh, over the weekend, but um, um, my last podcast was last Tuesday. So, um, But we were in the middle of releasing a, a movie. We didn't realize it would be a big, big movie, but millions and millions of people have seen it. Um, I'm guessing it's... Uh, for a feature-length documentary in this time and this year that we're in, um, to have over six million people see it in the first twelve days, as I don't know, I haven't heard anything like that. And uh, hats off to Jeff Gibbs who made the film, and um, Ozzy Zenner, his uh, producer. Um, you can watch it for free on my YouTube channel. Just go there, and watch it, and um, you can leave comments. Uh, you can leave comments here. Coming up this week, we do have an incredible episode with the brilliant Roger Waters, the genius uh, behind Pink Floyd, and um, we have already recorded it, and we're uh, just in the process of putting it together because it uh, it was so so powerful, and um, I can't wait for you to hear it. Also, yesterday was the 50th anniversary of the murder of the students at Kent State Kent State University in Ohio where the Ohio National Guard opened fire on unarmed students who were protesting the Vietnam War uh, they shot 13 students all unarmed every one of the students four of them were killed two of the four that were killed were not even participating in the demonstration they were just walking to class and one of those, um, William Schroeder, was one of them. One of the not one of the National Guard, but he was an ROTC Army um, student. Shot him dead. Uh, sometime this week, we'll do an episode with the sister of Allison Krauss, one of the four dead, murdered students. Um, Allison's sister, Laurel Krauss, will be with me, and we'll talk about what happened that day and um, what it means to what we're going through right now, so I hope you uh, tune into that, and um, and we'll have other, other things going on, uh, but it will not be a week until <laughs> when you hear from me next. It might even actually even be tomorrow, but thank you. Thank you for being part of this um, podcast. I'm well. Everything's uh, fine. Um, it's uh, just a big job trying to put out a movie when you are confined to your apartment. Um, but I'm very happy to have done that as the executive producer. It it, um, it has reached many, many people. Thank you to Stephen Colbert for having me on. Thank you to Brian Williams for having me on. Ali Valshi. Um and uh, others who have um, supported me in, in this very important, provocative documentary, Planet of the Humans. I thought what I'd do 
today's podcast actually uh, is just talk to you about why I'm involved with this film. Although I'm not the writer, I'm not the director, um, but Jeff was my uh, one of my co-producers on um, Bowling for Columbine and Fahrenheit 9-11. I've known him for many, many years. He composed the score, the musical score for three of my films. Um, and he's been wanting to make this movie for some time, and I've heard him talk about it and seen him do it for close to a decade. It's really been an amazing project his deep, deep desire to save our planet and and to have our environmental movement doing the things it needs to be doing and heading in the right direction and just asking some very honest questions about whether or not we're on the right road because we can't risk being on the wrong road at this point because we will not have time to turn around and find another road. So it's why this movie is so critical and I wanted to tell you a bit about why I'm involved um, in it. Um, and it's, it's pretty simple for me. I believe that we are in a planetary emergency, a planetary emergency, my friends. And I'm not talking about the coronavirus. Uh, viruses are a part of nature. This is their planet too. They are a form of life. And like another species I know well, they are killers. This current pandemic is simply Mother Nature giving us a gentle warning. I know, I know you're thinking, Mike, uh, gentle? There's over 3 million around the world infected by this virus and a quarter of a million people are dead. You call that gentle? Yes, I do. I do, but I do not diminish how god-awful serious this is and how tragic it is for people who have been sick, for people who have lost loved ones. But I really, I really want all of you to please take this moment, take this virus as Earth's slap on our collective face. Treat it as if nature is trying to tell our species to back off, slow down, and change your ways. You know, for many years, we've been in the middle of what scientists are calling the world's sixth extinction event. In other words, throughout the history of this planet, on five other occasions, there were these massive extinction events. And many scientists believe now we are in number six. <laughs> wow. Read about that. It's quite powerful. And um, it's not depressing. It's just a like, oh, thank you for the cold water. This, you know, you do understand that this planet can remove all of us in the snap of its fingers. Now, I know what you're thinking. Thank God the planet doesn't have any fingers. But nonetheless, if you think COVID-19 has been a bummer, well, trust me, 
you literally can't imagine just how awful Earth's revenge is going to be against us for trying to choke it to fucking death. Yes, we are in a serious, multi-level, planetary emergency. And that emergency, it involves climate, water, food, topsoil, overconsumption, species that have gone missing, our ocean life, what's left of it, and humans mostly humans and our human nonsensical greed-induced behaviors and systems. That wasn't bad enough. Now for the bad news. Many of the people and organizations who are working hard to save us aren't. It's not that they haven't tried. They have and we, you and I, we are proud. We should be proud of ourselves and all the work that we've done in the environmental movement. And I think, if you don't mind, I can speak on behalf of all of us, most of us. We are very grateful to our environmental leaders for years of brilliant research, writings, protests, successes, especially back in the early 70s, all those laws that got passed, the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, the Environmental Protection Agency was formed. These were good things. All of this stuff that our environmental movement brought about, except it hasn't worked. We are worse off since the first Earth Day 50 years ago. Not better off, worse off. I don't even need to tell you that. You already know, just with climate change alone, just how god-awful shape that we're in. Okay, Mike, okay, but just, you know, how about some positive news? Okay, well... Um, I thought I'd make a little list of here's what's been achieved since that first Earth Day 50 years ago in 1970. You ready? 90% of the large fish in our oceans, the cod, halibut, Atlantic salmon, etc. 90% of these fish are gone. Gone. We ate them. 60% of all mammals are gone. And 95% of the mammals that are left are either humans, our pets, or our dinner. We eat them too. Somewhere between 2,000 and 10,000 species are going extinct every year. We have lost half of all of our topsoil. You know where we grow our food? Some predict, some scientists and agriculturalists predict that the topsoil will all be gone in 60 years. 
I don't know if you know this or not, but it takes one thousand years to regenerate just three centimeters of new topsoil. <sighs> you know, when they say this is a fragile planet, this is one of the reasons they mean that. A thousand years just to get three inches or three centimeters of topsoil, and we've lost half of it. Of the Earth's 34 main aquifer systems, this is the underground water system, you know, where we get our fresh water, where we dig the wells, there's water under the ground, okay? Well, there's 34 across the planet, 34 main aquifer systems. And right now, 21 of them are at near collapse, as in no more water. In 2018, the last year we have statistics for here, we lost 1.2 billion acres of rainforest in one year. And how about this? This is something I think anybody who was interested in the environment a decade ago, 15 years ago, do you remember when we were told that we were not supposed to go above 350 parts per million of carbon that we spew into our atmosphere? And that if we went above 350 parts per million, we're cooked. There'd be no way really to turn it back. We'd be done. We're at 415 parts per million right now. We're way past 350. How are we supposed to deal with that? Because what that means is we're beyond the point of no return. Wow. I mean, it looks as if we will have no chance of even coming close to halting the coming collapse. If we cannot, at least, at the very least, we must first admit that we have failed. I mean, that's a hard thing to do. Nobody likes to admit failure. But we've had an environmental movement for 50 years. And while we've done some good things and had got some laws passed and all of which are being ignored by the current administration. But all the things we set out to do, all the promises we made to ourselves and that we would leave this planet to our children and to our grandchildren in better shape. And you and I both know that we have not done that. And you and I don't know just our, we're not, you know, we're not scientists. We don't, we don't, how do we get this back from 415 parts per million in the air back to 350? I mean, we were told a decade ago that you really can't turn it back. I'm sorry, but this is, this is, I know, I've never been in a 12-step program, but I've read about it, and I obviously have friends and family and people have been in it, but it seems like one of the key things that in order for you to be able to recover is you first have to admit that you're an alcoholic or that you have a problem, that there is a problem, that you have failed to correct this problem, and now you're going to give yourself up to your brothers and sisters in the room, whether you believe in a higher being, some spiritual, whatever. But there has to be an admission of guilt, of failure. Not guilt in the sense that you're 
that you should feel bad about yourself, but it's like, you know this, you know, we're, come on, we're all human. We all know when we finally just call BS on ourselves, how much better that feels, because then you can start to correct the problem. Our problem right now with this environment is that we can no longer solar panel and windmill our way out of this disaster. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry to have to say this, but friends, we are no longer on the right road. And if we don't change course immediately, if we're too proud to ask for directions, guys, if we're, if we're unable to create new directions to start a bold new discussion of what must be done and to have that discussion without green, quote, green hedge fund managers at the table, then as far as I'm concerned, we might as well just keep driving this electric Buick right off the cliff. Well, I refuse to go off the cliff. And I cannot remain silent about this story any longer. I've devoted myself to the environmental movement since I was a teenager. I was part of the first Earth Day. I was 15 years old, and I just made my first documentary with the exciting title, Pollution in my hometown. <laughs> it was my Eagle Scout project. I showed it. I, I, I showed in this. In this, it was basically a, a all done with slides that I shot, put to music, and I narrated it. And um, and I named names and I showed all the businesses in town that were poisoning the air and the water and dumping shit everywhere. And <laughs> it was not your typical Eagle Scout uh, project and it deeply upset the local chamber of commerce and they tried to stop me from showing it around town because I was going around showing it in churches and schools and Qantas Club and all this and they were like, how do we stop to this kid? I'm outing all the businesses that are part of the Chamber of Commerce. It didn't matter. You know, you know what it's like when you're a teenager. You got to tell the truth. You got to call the adults out on it. Six years, just six years later, I started my own alternative newspaper in Flint called the Flint Voice. Um, and one of my first cover stories that I did was entitled, Here Comes the Sun. It was a full-fledged effort on my part to get Michigan, a state in which only one in four days each year is considered, quote, sunny. <laughs> it was my effort to advocate that Michigan should go solar. The next year I founded the Huron Alliance. It was a Flint-based anti-nuclear group. We organized massive demonstrations with other anti-nuclear groups to block the building of the Dow nuclear plant in Midland, Michigan. We worked on this project for, I'm thinking, over over three years, fighting Dow, fighting, fighting consumers' power, educating the public. Um, and right during this fight, Three Mile Island happened. The China Syndrome appeared in the movie theaters at the same moment. P 
people were starting to become aware. And remarkably, we were successful in stopping this nuclear plant and canceling it for good. All of this activism, all these things I was doing, this all took place before I was even 23 years old. And I've spent the rest of my adult life trying to figure out how to stop those who are hell-bent on destroying our, our home, the earth. I have to tell you, though, I also came to sadly see that some of the earth's worst enemies were the people who claimed to be on our side but couldn't help taking corporate money and thinking this would help the cause. It hurt the cause. I began to believe little of what we were being fed by those in power. I subscribed to the motto of the great investigative journalist I.F. Stone. His motto on I.F. Stone's Weekly, on the masthead, every week, this is what it said, his motto. All governments are run by liars, and nothing they say should be believed. That was his one journalistic rule. You must always believe. And he said that, and I met him before he passed away. And he said he would add corporations in there too with the liars. And and maybe that maybe any maybe any group that maybe has lost their way that's supposed to be helping the people. But he said you always start start with the premise that whenever you hear a corporate leader, a government official, somebody who says that they're out there doing good for the people, for the people. You have to start with the assumption that they are lying to you and it is their job to prove to you as the journalist that they're telling the truth. See, it's the reverse. It's not, they're, they're not innocent until proven guilty. You start with the assumption that they're guilty, that they're trying to pull one over on you. And then you can go and find the truth. But soon after I started my own newspaper, I had to confront some awful truths that I truly did not want to acknowledge. That some activist groups that I supported, that I was part of, and some liberals who were my good friends and allies were not always doing good for the people. Often they were well-intentioned, maybe occasionally misguided, or just simply wrong. And a few were up to no good. I saw union leaders hop into bed with management. I covered Democrats who were really Republicans. I did this for years, first as a print journalist, then with my films, this, this became, I guess, my own personal mission because I couldn't stand it. Right up until my last film, my, the last uh, Fahrenheit 11.9 that was out at the end of uh, 2018, 
I called out Barack Obama in that film for going to Flint and pretending to drink Flint water and then telling the people that their tainted water was safe when it wasn't. It seriously was surreal, heartbreaking, and maddening. As couldn't believe it. I love Obama. I know. I love Obama. But I had to put it in the film. That's my deal with you. Those of you, most of you, I've never met you. But you've come to my films all these years, read my books. The idea of breaking faith with you on some level is like would be the worst thing to do. I've got to tell you what I think is the truth. I mean, I could be wrong. I'm just, I'm a human being. I give you my opinion. My opinion could be wrong. <clears throat> I don't think it is, but I might be. <laughs> I had to put that in the film of him drinking that water in order to get people to start drinking the water again. And you see, my friends, <laughs> there's the rub of my quasi-lonely life as a citizen and a filmmaker of this sort. Because I will never, ever cover for anyone who's not doing right by the people. Anyone who is harming the least among us. Who, with even good intentions, has contributed to the eventual death of this planet. And now, 50 years after that first Earth Day, I am standing here and telling you of my support of Jeff Gibbs and his brilliant film, Planet of the Humans. A film in which we needed to ask the difficult questions of people we love people on our side of the political divide. We had no interest in making a film about how evil Exxon is. We already know that. We already know what the Koch brothers have done to our environment. Why would you give up two hours of your time to watch a movie that's just going to tell you something you already knew? No, we decided that, that we had to we had to look at something else that wasn't being discussed when we discussed the environment. And that is capitalism. Or in this case, what is now known as green capitalism. Green with the quote marks around the green. And we wanted to ask this question, is green capitalism really our savior? Are we being manipulated with fear and forced anxiety so that we will buy more and more and more? To what ends? You know, when this pandemic is over, really, do you want to go back to the old ways of being wage slaves? No real power over your own lives? 
accepting that the democracy is probably over, that you're no longer citizens, you're just now simply consumers, and that your contribution to Earth's decline is to continually feed the beast. You know, and I know that it is amazing that we have all put up with this for so long and that we have been afraid to admit our losing record when it comes to our precious environment. I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of feeling the battle has been lost. Something has to change and it has to change now. Planet of the humans, my friends, It, we have no personal bone to pick with any one individual. Look, we've all messed up. We've all been on the wrong road. What we want to know is, what's our way out? I mean, we have our ideas. Let's plant a billion trees. I like that idea. The earth needs a billion trees. That would help. And ending capitalism and greed and and making the 1% pay their fair share. We could also nationalize our energy companies. That's what they do in Norway. Works really, really well for them. And you do it because you do it as a matter of national security. Not because you're just against rich people. National security. Our natural resources should never be owned by any profit-making company. What's in our earth, what's in our, our lakes and our rivers and in our air belongs to all of us collectively. What else could we do? Oh, I know. How about if we bring back teaching civics in our schools? Teach young people how they can use the system. The government works for them. What if we taught that again? We used to teach that. They're all talking now about finally instituting a guaranteed annual income. Thank you, Andrew Yang. (laughs) Everybody knew in their heart of hearts it really was kind of a good idea. Nice safety net so that nobody has to suffer. And we need universal health care and we need free child care and on and on. Hey, how about this one? How about we apologize to our children and our students and our young adults Yeah, the ones, you know, under 40. What if we were to apologize to them for destroying the earth? For handing them a destroyed planet? And then kindly beg them to lead us out of this madness? I mean, the good news is that the youth have already risen up. And they've created new movements that we desperately need. We, the adults, the lifelong environmentalists, we have failed to stop climate change. Admit it. The Western world uses too much crap, too much energy, and eats too many cows and chickens. As Greta, Greta Thunberg, rightfully, angrily said to us adults, You have stolen our future. You have stolen my youth. Wow. Indeed we have. 
I've admitted it. I want the rest of the movement to admit it too. I am, though, most heartened and encouraged by the bullseye focus of youth-led movements onto the real targets. I totally agree with Greta's condemnation when she said, people are suffering, people are dying, entire ecosystems are collapsing, we are at the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? She said, wow, did you see that? Do you remember that? Just a couple years ago, piercing. And she was looking right at you and right at me. These kids should be mad. This is a raw deal that they've been handed. Now, I know on the news it was reported that she was directing that at the oil, gas, and coal industry. And of course, yes, that too. But I believe that she was also aiming it right at us. She knows many on our side of the political fence have told us that capitalism is the solution to the problem that it created. That strategy has failed. While decimating the planet is called good business, it actually is bad for the people and the living creatures on that planet. I urge you to join me in committing to support and fight alongside these young people. The student strike for climate, the Sunrise Movement, Black Lives Matter, March for Our Lives, the kids from Parkland, Women's March, Extinction Rebellion, and on and on. They are all fighting to change this world immediately, not in 2040 or 2050 or 2070. Now, this won't happen unless we get new blood. We need fresh ideas. We need people who will not be co-opted. We must commit to following their lead. Some of our beloved environmental leaders may have to step aside and help now in other ways. We need these young people to do what we haven't had the guts to do. Slam the door shut on the green capitalism that funds and poisons our movement. The youth will refuse to participate in the eco-industrial complex. Let's join them. Let them lead. That's not a lot to ask for if it means that Mother Nature gives us one last chance to get it right, is it? I'm hoping that she sees, as I do, that the kids are all right. Those are my words for today. Watch Planet of the Humans. The truth is there. Later this week, we will do another podcast on the attempts in the last 10 days to stop you, the public, from seeing this film.
We have behind the scenes been fighting it tooth and nail. It is a disappointing story to have to tell, but I believe in full transparency. I want you to know, I want you to hear it. We won't tolerate anybody or any organization that seeks to quash free speech and free expression. There are some who do not want you to see this film. And it's too late. Thanks, everybody. This is Rumble. I'm Michael Moore. We'll see you tomorrow the next day. Take care.